My guest today is a super talented clarinetist, Anders Peterson. Anders was born in Northfield and went to school here until leaving for the prestigious Interlochen Arts Academy in high school. He's one of the best young classical clarinet players in the U.S. under the age of 23, and we get a chance to hear two of his solo pieces today. Anders plans to attend the even more prestigious Rice University Shepherd School for his master's work this fall. Get this, on a full scholarship. And when I say prestigious, I mean that Rice University is recognized as having the best college and grad school orchestra in the nation. Anders has won or placed in multiple contests over the years, soloed with the Minnesota Orchestra at age 16, performed on NPR and NPR soloing at both the Schubert and Broadway theaters. He's played with many awarded orchestras and chamber groups, has toured and played overseas, and there is so much more. I'm very excited for him to fill in the details, so let's talk with Anders Peterson. Hey Anders, welcome to Musician Talk. Thank you, Pauline. I'm very excited and glad to be on here today. I'm excited for you to be on here today, and not only because you're so talented and we get to talk about a lot of things and hear you play, but also to talk about classical music, which I haven't done on this show for quite some time. So for, uh, for all the classical fans out there, I'm going to have some difficult time saying some names. That's all I can say. Just fine with me. <laughs> right. So, um, Anders, you're here home for the summer. That's right. Awesome. And that gives us a chance to be live in studio right here downtown at KYMN. Absolutely. So, um, boy, you've done a lot, a, lot, a lot in music in your mm. short life. And mm-hmm. it's short because I'm so old. Um, <laughs> you know, the older we get, it's like if you're in your 20s, forget it. You're a baby now. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. So um, t- when did you start playing clarinet? And how did you decide to play clarinet? Well, my first exposure to music was actually through the piano. Um, and I learned to read music around second and third grade level as a student of Ruth Hoekstra. Um, by the time I was in fourth or fifth grade, I was already giving live performances at Bethel Lutheran Church, oh. uh, Prairie Creek Charter School. Um, so that's where I was kind of bit by the performance bug early on when I realized I started enjoying uh, sharing my music with other people. Um, my dad uh, was the first to really um, buy me my first um, clarinet. It was a buffet, R13, um, that he got from the legendary St. Olaf band manager, Robert Johnson, because um, he was a... Um, when my dad was a student at St. Olaf, he played in the St. Olaf band under Miles Johnson and thought that uh, you know it would be a good fit for me, and it was something that I could compete with him on. Um, he would actually take lessons with me, and we would you know keep going back to this you know teacher every week, and we'd have these you know scale competitions um, and see you know who, who could outplay the other. And by the time I was in eighth grade, he was I left him in the dust. <laughs> That's so. great. I've never heard of a yeah. parent doing that. I love that idea. Go ahead and take lessons with me and see if you can get better. Yeah. <laughs> better than I am. It was um, some motivation there. It was my first teacher. He was it was Dr. Jun Shin who taught at um, Saint Olaf College for. And we had a five year you know teaching relationship with him, and he was a DMA from uh, the legendary Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. And we first heard him play at a. Uh, Northfield all-school band concert, and he was performing Rossini's Themes and Variations, um, and I was, you know, not even really sentient at the time. I didn't really know what I was hearing, but my dad was smart enough to hear that this was a piece that only, you know, some of the best, you know, musicians in the world could play and play well, um, and after the concert, he went up to him and asked him, you know, hey, are you taking any students? Would you take my fifth grade son, you know, you know as a clarinet player, because this is a guy who, who was already 
teaching collegiate you know level students so Absolutely. why would he take me well he took me and uh he you know i have him to thank a lot for um teaching me the fundamentals of practicing um practicing skills you know arpeggios memorization um but most of all worth uh, work ethic um outworking everybody and uh the greatest thing i learned from him was how to practice slowly and patiently um never playing anything too fast too soon not letting the ego get in the way which is a mistake that many young musicians make um early on and i continue to practice this way today i think that that mistake the ego mistake is all yeah. through your whole life oh yeah I, yeah i think that affects the musicians at every level mm-hmm. and gets in the way particularly with a, a group when you have a group of people and then you have a bunch of egos fighting each other yeah but um that is interesting the fundamentals of practice um not only includes, of course, the things that you have to learn to play on your clarinet and practice, but also you got to work hard and you got to work hard and you got to work slow in mm-hmm. order to get the to the, to the um, technical ability that you're at. You have to start slow. There's no way to get there any other way. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you were taking lessons from a master, and um, how long did that last? It was around five years, um, and he eventually had to uh, switch schools. He went down to, to Texas, but we still, you know, continued lessons with him. Then it was in uh, a great, great teacher by the name of Scott Anderson uh, took his place at Saint Olaf, and uh, I got to know Scott and um, was taught by him by many years. And he helped me, you know, tremendously just with his depth of, of musical knowledge and um, score analysis, and really just a, a great guy all around to to be with and, and learn from. Um, you know, you say that, I want to just get back to this, and I'm, this is so great that you have great teachers. I don't mean to ignore that because that is key, of course. Um, I want to get back to this practice thing uh, and work hard work. So what, okay, so you can be told by a teacher, right? You can be told by your parents, which I'm sure they, all parents say this at some point in time, work hard, work hard, put your time in. Um, but it doesn't happen necessarily, probably most of the time on, a, on an instrument anyway, to the degree that you did. So on top of people telling you to work hard and practice, 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 what internally do you think uh, pushed you to do that? So it's not always that, it's not always that you do it. It's how you do it. Okay. It's how you practice. And you practice on days where you don't even feel like practicing. It, you know, it's... Because I don't think motivation works. This is it's controversial to say that I know that. I don't think it's motivation that makes, you know, anybody great. It's discipline. Because motivation it ebbs and flows. It can yep. be up some days and down others. Discipline is constant. Discipline is no matter what, I'm gonna do this. I don't you know, I don't care what happens to me. I'm just gonna keep going back at it every day. Um, you know, success is not final, failure is not fatal, you know, it's nice. the desire to, you know, get on that to keep working that, you know, I think separates, you know, the amateurs from the professionals. I, you know, just saying that, that what you just said made me think of the journey rather than the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that as musicians, as young musicians, well, maybe all musicians, all artists, maybe everybody, you want to have the outcome, you want to have the success, you want to have something to present to yourself or to anybody else as soon as you possibly can. And that doesn't work for a lot of these kind of pieces that you're playing because the technical level is so high. Um, so good for you. That was really well said in very, very many ways well said. 
so what tell me about your contest throughout like once you started getting to this level of of proficiency that you had with these teachers throughout school when did you start playing in contests and winning and understanding that you had and maybe the teachers already did that you had a gift you had a real gift for this so i mean i first had my inkling of passion for performance in sixth grade where Mm -hmm. i heard uh stanley drucker this um he was the former New York Philharmonic principal clarinetist for 60 years. This wow. is a, a world record for <laughs> a classical musician to be in an orchestra that long. And I heard him play uh, Carl Maria von Weber's Concertino for Clarinet. And after I heard this performance, I told him, my dad, I want to play this with an orchestra someday. Mm. Um, so that, you know, four years later, you know, I did with the, with the Minnesota Orchestra. And oh. that was my breakthrough moment because I was winning so many other contests at the time I, I got to solo with. Um, Dr. Jerry Lockhart's uh, medalist band in Bloomington, um, Manny Loriano's uh, Bloomington Symphony Orchestra, um, the Dakota Valley Symphony Orchestra under you know Stephen Ramsey, um, and uh, when I first you know began competing in tenth grade, many of these contests were local, um, but you know people kept believing me, kept giving me a chance, um, and uh, it was after having a lot of success in the the solo circuit in, in Minnesota where. I realized you know, I should. I need to go to a higher level. I need to go to the national level. I need to go um, into a different place with a different teacher. So I went to Interlochen Arts Academy where I met Emil Hudayev, and he introduced me to many other um, big professionals in our industry, you know, including you know, Boris Alekverdian, um, who's principal clarinet of the Los Angeles Philharmonic, uh, Stephen Williamson of the Chicago Symphony, these are the best orchestral clarinetists in the world, wow. <clears throat> no question. Um, so being exposed to them and their, you know, teaching, um, you know, just opened so many doors, you know, for me and just expanded um, my musicianship and, and just knowledge. <clears throat> um, and uh, um, it was also in, it was at Interlochen where Emil. Um, he opened up. To, he opened me up to the the world stage. You know, the international level of of competing with other musicians, um, and that led me to get a position in National Youth Orchestra of the United States. Um, one that we tour um, Latin America along with a performance in Carnegie Hall in New York City. Um, uh, then uh, I was a finalist for National Young Arts Week in uh, Miami, Florida. Um, so basically, this interlocking you know took me all over the United States and the world. I mean, I, can, I won second in an international competition in uh, Ustend, Belgium, of all places, and wow, uh, so that cool. was for International Clarinet Association. That was in 2018, just before I entered college. Um, but uh, yeah, the. Pr- Perhaps one of the you know greatest accomplishments in my life after all of that competing, um, it was that that prepared me to secure a position in the studio of Yehuda Galad at the University of Southern California, and I have you know him to thank so much for so much of my musical growth over the years. I was going to ask why you went to how you made the decision to go to Interlochen, but it sounds like it took you. And you knew it would take take you to the next level in, mm-hmm. in your playing, and also give you so many opportunities with all the connections that the teachers and the school has. So that worked really, well, really, really well mm-hmm. for you, and that got you into uh, Shepherd School. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, it's time to turn to the first piece that we have here, and um, 
you said I could call it themes and variations. Thank you. Because Tema, Tema, Tema con, con variazioni. That's, yeah. what, that's what it's actually called. Jean-Paul. But I'm going to call it themes and variations. Go for it. It's just fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so why did you choose this song? Well, maybe we should talk a little bit about, um, is, was this an audition piece? This was an audition piece for the 8th International Crucelle Competition in Finland. Um, I auditioned for that last year. Um, uh, I made the second round for it. I was selected out of uh, 40 clarinetists all around the world um, to to go there. And this is a very popular French competition piece that you know challenges the, the rhythmic, musical, and technical versatility required of, of all clarinetists. Um, and then each movement has its own genre and style and theme, so it takes a lot of ge- versatility of genre and knowledge of different genres like ragtime, waltz, um, you know, polyrhythmic dances, um, and you know, crazy time signatures like you know seven eight, and um, it really just puts you through all these twists and turns, and um, you have to adapt. Um, and it's an incredibly difficult piece to record as well. Um, because many of these contests, they require it in one take. So there's yes. no cutting, there's no splicing, there's no editing. It's just you for, I think, this is seven, eight minute long piece, I think, yeah. in total. Um, so yeah, and also a very fun piece to play as well. That's great. When, and we talked about this before, about doing this in one piece or in one take, and it just blows my mind. I mean, doing a three three minute song just with the easy melody is difficult to get you know maybe you get all the notes kind of pretty much right but that's just the beginning yeah, yeah. that's just yeah. the beginning exactly so i do start this um into the piece so it's not a full seven to eight minutes i think it's around four minutes so we start about halfway a little bit um before halfway through and uh, let's so let's take a listen to jean francais composition themes and variations played on clarinet by my guest today anders peterson
This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. We just heard my guest today, Anders Peterson, soloing on clarinet on a composition called Themes and Variations by Jean Francais. Wow. That's something else. And it's and it's interesting that, you know, you think that the most difficult parts are the runs, which you do just so smoothly. But you're saying how the beginning movement with the long legato, the long notes in, played in legato um, is so hard because of breath support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Playing that high, that softly, you know, requires a tremendous amount of... Uh, you know, diaphragm support and air support, and if you don't have that, well, then you, d- you miss the whole point of right. <laughs> playing it. I remember going back over this piece, you know, several times when I was recording it, just trying to get that movement alone, you know, right. Yeah. Um, even listening to it, uh, you know, as the person who recorded it, I, I still have these feelings of stress and anxiety from, you know, back when I was <laughs> actually, record- it. actually yeah. recording it with uh, with uh, my wonderful pianist, Nozomi Hudayev, who was... Uh, um, Julia, a trained pianist and uh, the wife of uh, my uh, my teacher at Interlochen, Emil Hudayev, who's in uh, he's off in Seattle Symphony now, and she oh. plays for a uh, very prestigious violin studio um, in Seattle. So nice, nice. Well, the piano part was beautiful as well. Um, it's you play with such personality. Uh, I mean, with the, and that includes. When you when you have that kind of personality, it includes not only intonation, it, co- it, it, it includes um, dynamics and uh, the style the style that you chose choose to play or the stylings, and so you brought so much personality to this that I was imagining when it was playing. Um, you have the playful kind of arrhythmic section, and then um, goes into a conversation that may, maybe gets a little heated, and then the but between the parents and the parents have to give it up when the kids come running in because it becomes playful again. I mean, I had a whole story going on in my head and that would not happen if you weren't playing so beautifully um, and with so much personality. So thank you. Um, I, and again, doing this in one take, I can't imagine the, the pressure and the anxiety because, you know, you can get 99% of it done and you make one mistake and you have to at the end and you have to start over. Depends on how the severity of the mistake. Sure. I can let a few slide. Got but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nothing, uh, you have yeah, to. nothing catastrophic. <laughs> that is great. So um, I'm going to move into the uh, quote period of the show. And um, I have a quote by Robert Schumann. Um, also, that song that we first started hearing um, when we broke to play the song was the Robert Schumann song we're going to play later. We had it marked wrong. So there you have it. Um, we'll get to hear the beginning of that again. Uh so this is a quote by Robert Schumann, who's the composer of the next song that we're going to play. And he said, yeah, you will be most readily cured of vanity or presumption by studying the history of music and by hearing the masterpieces which have been produced at different periods. And then also to send light into darkness of men's hearts, such as the duty of the artist. And that first one I, I picked because... Um, just to hear your proficiency play, and I'm sure that because of the level that you're playing at and that you continue to work toward playing at, which is going to be you know, the top in the, in the country, in the world, the, hand, the handful of top players. And um, I, I think it's that when you listen, I'm just wondering, when you listen to these masters, are you still humbled? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
because no matter how experienced you think you are, you know, the works of the masters before us will, they're always outshine us for their, you know, timelessness. And it reminds me that no matter how hard I work, there's always going to be someone out there, you know, that's going to show me my weak points and, you know, mirror back, you know, how I can be better. Um, that's what that quote says to me. Um, and that, you know, those, your competition shouldn't be, you know, viewed as a setback. It has to be viewed as, um, your only means of, you know, getting better. Um, you have to use your competition to get better, you know, than them. Yet that's how I, you know, look at it now before it's like, it was a blow to my ego, but now it's, uh-huh. it's something very different and something, uh, positive, um, something positive now yeah I think that that happens when you get to a certain level with a lot of musicians certain level of ability and proficiency it seems like you can put the ego aside because you're not I don't know you're not comparing yourself so much anymore or when you compare yourself you you feel okay about it or something but it seems like there's a level and this isn't for everybody of course some people just keep their ego but that you can kind of set that aside as good I mean I just feel like with Steve at his level of musicianship my husband and who he plays with there's not so much of that as when it's when when you're not that good how would that work I'm not sure how Hmm. that works but I think the the better you get the more you realize you don't know ah Ah, um, so it's, whereas it. early on you think you know everything, or <laughs> not not for every not in everybody's case, but um, yeah, that's yeah, got it. That's great. And then the other part to this quote is to send light into the darkness of men's hearts, which of course, uh, such as the duty of music, which of course is dear, near and dear to me, as I say all the time. That's what this show's about: the importance of music and how important it is to bring light in the world. Yeah. Well, there's a. There's always been a lot of darkness in the world, especially, you know, right now more than ever. Um, and music has always been used as a medium to, you know, to bring peace to, you know, people's hearts and to um, remind people that there is, you know, uh, good in the world and that... Um, um, and beauty. And, and beauty, yes, yes. Right, and there's light no matter how dark it gets. Yes. There's light there. And it's not only to, to um, bring light to people's hearts, and to dark times, it also shines light often in, on something that we need to do to pay attention to, mm-hmm. um, depending on the kind of music that you're talking about. Um, I'm sure classical music has brought much joy to many, many people and lightened some dark corners in our history as a human beings, that's for sure. All right, so uh, musical future. What do you, you get to go get your master's? But uh, so take me take me through that and what you're thinking after that. Well, like we were saying earlier, um, I'll be continuing my musical education at Rice University as a student of Richie Hawley, who is also a former student of my undergraduate teacher at USC, Yehuda Galad. Who, um, uh, you know, side note, uh, the current principal clarinetist in the Minnesota Orchestra, Gabriel Campos Samora, and the principal clarinetist of the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, um, Sang Yun Kim, they are former students of Yehuda. Um, so already three Yehuda students in Minnesota. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, he's one of the greatest, you know, clarinet, you know, teachers of all time. Um, and I'm excited to be working with, you know, one of his, uh, um, his former students, um, who I think has such a emphasis on orchestral playing and, and sound and blend that I think will be integral to my growth as a musician that, uh, 
will most certainly, I think, help me win a job one day. Um, yeah. uh, and Rice, the Rice University Orchestra is also um, most certainly in the top five, if not top three, best conservatory orchestras in the world. So um, I'm very excited to bring my own unique voice to this great orchestra. Um, yeah. So will you start playing in the orchestra right away? Yes, I mean, the, uh, at Rice, I mean, they have orchestra rotations, but I will no doubt be in some <coughs> great ensemble at all times. Um, so I'll be constantly exposed to other great musicians and hearing people more experienced than me um, and playing all sorts of, you know, different styles of, you know, diverse, you know, chamber repertoire, orchestra repertoire, um, which is really where I feel most in my element, Um I feel at home when I'm in an orchestra. I feel like I have, you know, something to say and, um, you know, a usefulness when I'm in an orchestra, when I'm, you know, sharing music with other people, when I'm touring places. And um, that's kind of been my calling from, uh, you know, since sixth grade. So is that where you're headed, hopefully, is uh, to play with a a pro orchestra? Absolutely. Uh, Hopefully one day. Um, It's a very, you know, competitive market. Yeah. Um, But... uh, I don't think I would be at Rice if I wasn't on some sort of track to yeah. to get there at some point. Absolutely. You'll um, make it. You'll, you'll get there. Absolutely you will. I have no doubt of thank that. Thank you. With the work ethic that it sounds like you have, you, you absolutely get there. Um, <clears throat> how about teaching? Do you have any interest in that? It sounds like you'd be a really good teacher. For I think you have to said. be. I think all musicians you know, have to be a mm-hmm. teacher. They have to pass down. Um, they have to give back all you know the teaching that they got you know over so many years um so it just it comes with it i've taught before i uh i did a teaching project a couple semesters ago i visited several um public, <coughs> excuse me public high schools in california um diamond bar high school uh did a a um a master class at uh interlock and arts academy actually um a sort of kind of an alumni uh you know, teaching event. Um, so that was very, you know, meaningful for me to give back to the community that I got so much from um, and allowed me to connect with teachers that I had gotten um, coaching from and then to teach their students. Um, it felt like things had kind of gone full circle for me, nice. uh, giving back to the community this way. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, many, um, all the great professionals that I know, all the people that are great players, they also teach. Um, and, uh, yeah, it brings in more money, too. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So when you're um, preparing for <clears throat> audition pieces to get into school or for, for a job um, or for, I guess that would be, or, or for a contest, how do you choose the music and how do you practice? How do you go about, I mean, or, and maybe it's just the same way as practicing anything, but when you're pre- preparing a piece, is it different? Um, it's really all the same. I mean, so much of my practice, yes, it's slow practice, but a lot of it is listening and listening to other, uh, recordings and other people and other interpretations Mm -hmm. to help me synthesize and, you know, figure out how do I want to play this? How do I want to be different from all those other people? Um, how do I want to bring something new to this piece? Um, and just, it's just listen, 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 and then, um, and then you, then you practice. You know, my, I, one of my former teachers, you know, a long time ago, uh, Kenneth Grant at Eastman School, I remember him telling me, uh, it's two hours of study, one hour of practice. Oh, interesting. Um, 
and that's if, if you don't have if it's the other way around then you're going in the opposite direction um it's it's always you have to know what you're doing before you do it like i said earlier it's not that you do it it's how you do it mm-hmm. uh, it's how you practice and how deep your level of study is in a piece and how you want it to sound that's in, integral to um you know, going into any competition or audition. Um, and even if you get all those things right, nothing's guaranteed because then you have subjectivity at the end of the day. Right. You know, sports, it's like, you know, you have, uh, like, oh, this guy sp- scored more points than you. He's better. No right. one can or he wins, question that. He wins. Right. There is no, you know, dispute. Music, it's, uh, it you, know, I, I, you know, I could have liked this style better than that style. I liked what he did here. I liked what she did there. Um, that's just, uh, you can only do your best and then, hope it goes your way that's, right. um, that's just the, the beauty of our profession well yeah the nature of any art it's there's there's no perfect you don't ever get to perfect and so you're kind of always striving striving for that and when what is perfect anyway right in quotation marks mm-hmm. um, and so there's always the journey to, to learn and always the journey to get better and um, I was just wondering about stylizing. We talked about a little bit our stylistic choices that you make as a clarinetist, just like I make as a singer. I might choose to bend a note or even change the uh, rhythm. I don't think this happens in classical music. Change change it uh, to improvise a little bit over it. Um, once you know the notes and you have the the you're able to play the speed and be able to hold your breath and ha- and have that long legato. Once you've got all that locked in, how do you give it personality? So once the notes, you know, you, let's say you get everything that's on the page down, uh, the personality, so much of that comes within, you know, how finding you know how does your happy character sound how does your sad character sound as opposed to someone else's um this is what i spent four years you know trying to figure out with uh, with yehuda and even even before that and honestly it's still difficult to even answer today as to what makes um you know a certain professional different from the rest because you can say yeah they have great technique they have great you know interpretation and you know, musicality and everything but um oftentimes when i listen to really great recordings of of other clarinetists or any musician um they have this extra special quality to their sound this extra beautification to each note um that they give um and it, it, it happens with such a there's such a vocal quality to it because you know what yehuda told me what yehuda taught me was you're not playing the clarinet you're singing through it and that oh, goes for nice. any kind of instrument so you vocalize in the same way as a singer would. You don't think of it as, you know, clarinet playing. It's like no, you're. You could be a, could be a you know, a drummer, a clarinet player, a, you know, Glockenspiel player. It doesn't matter. You're you're singing through the instrument. You're vocalizing in your own way, um, and so nice. much of um, that practice comes from. Um, I mean, I spend a lot of time just singing what I'm going to play before I play it. Um, just to get a feel for how the phrase is supposed to naturally um, you know, develop. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, and I think, I guess you'd say maybe it's magic. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, kind yeah, of in, yeah. in something there, ineffable. Phenomena. You, yes. phenomena. You can't explain it, but you know it when you hear it. Yes. Don't you? Mm-hmm. And yet you can't, it's really hard to put your finger on it. 
All right. So let's get to the Schumann piece. This is your second, the second piece. And again, I, I start this about halfway in at a break halfway in. And this is called Fantasy, okay, Fantasy Stuck, Opus 73, right? Mm -hmm. A little easier with the German than the Italian. (laughs) Um, so why did you choose this play, this song to record? Well, I thought it'd be a nice contrast, I think, to the to the Francais that we heard earlier. It was also another competition piece. Um, it's an interesting anecdote when I was recording this. Um, when I start any recording session, I usually do it with the music. Um, and the you first, mean the music in front of you? The music in front of me. Okay. The music in front of me. And it wasn't until we got to the last you know page of the last movement. I made a mistake. I made a memory error. We had to restart the whole thing over. And then we take the music stand away. So no music. It's all for memory. We do maybe two or three more takes, not a single memory error. Wow. So for me, that's, that's just what's, it was that's a what's worked learned. for me. I've always yeah. been fine just memorizing things um, and just kind of being on my own with it instead of second-guessing myself. Um, so that was just kind of a fun little story from that. But um, uh, Schumann, I mean, it's... This fantasy Stuka has a resemblance to his leader and his other songs, and the virtuosity is not so much in the technique, but in the phrasing and the rhythmic sophistication the musician must play to to have it like a singer would sing it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, creative expression is, you know, the product of the artist's unrestricted imagination. I think that was another Schumann quote. And this piece tests the player's ability to change from one mood to another um, very dramatically and very um, um, suddenly. Cool. Uh, and uh, this was, you know, also recorded with Nozomi Hudayev, a Juilliard graduate in piano, and just an extraordinary player. And uh, we had quite a bit of history, you know, together at Interlochen because she played with me for pretty much everything, um, mm-hmm. and spent so much time with me in the the recording studio. And really, there's a synergy between us when we when we get together and when we when we make music together. And uh, she's just a she has so much energy herself, and I, I just feed off of that and it's a uh, it's a great uh it's a great duo That's, that we yeah, have going on there it sounds really wonderful and, you know, I mean, that playing together for so long, that's another thing that's ineffable, a little magical, that uh, you can read each other and you don't really know how. I mean, you could say, well, I watch the head and I see the fingers and I you can tell, but really it's kind of magic. Everyone's different. Yeah. You yeah. just learn. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So here is my guest today, Anders Peterson, playing clarinet on Robert Schumann's piece, Fantasy Stuka, Opus 73. <laughs>
This is Musician Talk, and I'm your host, Pauline Jennings. My guest today is uber-talented clarinetist Anders Peterson. You just heard him solo on Fantasy Stuka, Opus 73 by Robert Schumann. Yeah, again, wow, your ability is really astounding. Well done. Thank well you. played. Um, you said that the hardest part about this is Schumann, when he writes pieces like this, or maybe it's just this piece, doesn't leave much room for breathing. <laughs> that is true. Um, lots of long lines, lots of long melodies. Uh, it takes either, you could learn circular breathing, which is sort of this, you know, perpetual, you know, breathing, you know, thing where you don't really have to take time to You don't have to breathe, take your but, lips uh, off the instrument to yeah, breathe, yeah. breathe in air. I didn't do any of that. I just <laughs> kind of saved up the air and made some musical decisions with the breathing, too. Um, you know, you have to breathe musically, too. Breathing is... The breathing is not separate from the music. The breathing is a part of the music. Yes. And it has to be as yes. fluid and as calculated. And um, you have to have a reason for where you breathe. Wow. And I think that's what's very important about Schumann. It's the key to, to surviving in Schumann <laughs> and uh, playing it uh, beautifully. And Yes. Well, and I, you know, you can't circular breathe yet. Um, or you haven't trained yourself to do so. Uh, but you can certainly train yourself to have more breath support and yes. get stronger muscles to be able to play mm-hmm. longer notes. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah. Just like any training. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, Anders, thank you for your music today. I really appreciate thank it. You. Um, I want to talk about your best gig, worst gig. The best gig would have to be, this is summer of 2017. I was a junior in high school. And it was with the National Youth Orchestra of the United States um, in, of all places, Carnegie Hall in New York City. Mm. Um, we played Gustav Mahler's First Symphony. It was about an hour long. Wow. Um, and I was one of their principal clarinets that concert. And it was a very surreal experience to walk on that stage where the composer himself, Gustav Mahler, had lived and worked and performed on, you know, some pretty much 100 plus years earlier, you know, before. Um, and you know the stage where every great musician that we know has you know been on um, every great composer um, in the last you know how many you know decades, but um, that it was I still remember being on that stage and performing with all my colleagues and how meaningful that was for me, um, and the applause that we got when the show was over you know lasted you know. Minutes and minutes and minutes, you know. Oh, um, that is really that cool. was yeah. Walking off, you know, that stage and um, that was definitely you know one of the highlights of my my life, really. Yeah. Um, as for the worst gig, it's just a little um, little gig at uh, Barnes and Noble uh, bookstore with my dad a few years ago, and we were just playing some Christmas duets for clarinet um, in a store where no one was really paying attention to you <laughs> and. Um, wasn't really busy there anyway. It was just kind of a short, you know, sweet thing. Uh, it was for, uh, for Minnesota Youth Symphonies, actually. I think we, some sort of program affiliated with that where we went over there and we, we played, you know, Christmas music for other people. Um, but, uh, and it was, it was not very, appreciated. it was, it was, yeah, they were, I guess, <laughs> unappreciated, you could say. And it was not very eventful, but, uh, for sure, Carnegie was, um, was something special. I can't imagine. I congratulations getting on that stage and playing on that stage and then getting such a great um, ovation. That's that's incredible. Um, 
And I have to say that you, you are obviously used to playing on stages in concert halls as opposed to bars because <laughs> most of the people I interview here are ignored quite often and people talking okay. over them because they play in coffee shops and, and bars. But um, boy, if that's the worst gig you ever have, you're going to have a great, great, great life playing gig. Okay. So that's really cool. Um, to wrap up here, Anders, why don't you give me a, uh, an idea of what you're doing this summer? This summer? Uh, well... It's going to be um, visiting some old, you know, musician friends uh, in Minnesota, um, and uh, you know, getting some teaching from them and catching up and uh, playing some chamber music with friends. Um, hopefully, I turn that into a a concert series at um, yes. Beth Lutheran Church. I'm, it's it's in development. Nothing's confirmed yet, but uh, we're just we're finding musicians first, and uh, um, it'll likely be a charity event where people can um, you know pay to get in, and the proceeds will go. Uh, to some you know, place of my choosing. Well, that sounds but, um, terrific. And when you get that set up, let me know, and we'll get one of the absolutely. musicians on here to talk about it. And um, it's that, and just getting, just preparing for uh, my incoming years at um, at Rice University, and um, just you know trying to be a better player and better person. Perfect. That's a really, really great place to leave it. I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you. you. Great job. And it was wonderful to hear your your talent, talent, and playing. And I look forward to hearing more from you throughout the years and finding out what you're doing and who you end up playing with. So thank you so much. Thank you, Wendy, again. All right. Many thanks to Anders for joining me today to talk about his successful musical journey so far and share his plans for the future. As always, thanks so very much to Wendy Norquist and you, dear listeners, for tuning in to Musician Talk on The One, KYMN. You have a terrific day.